Hi, my name's Noreen Jamil, and this is... Emily Kate Stevens. Both of us have been diagnosed with long COVID. And we've created this podcast dedicated to the condition. Welcome to the Long COVID Sessions. So, Noreen, how was your week? Well, funnily enough, Emily, I knew you were going to ask me that question. So I've been thinking about it. And I actually, this morning when I got up, and I didn't have my cup of tea because I've got bloody long COVID, so I can't have a cup of tea. Um, I actually can't remember how my week's been. I'm just so kind of over being ill, but I'm not even monitoring my symptoms anymore. Not registering with you. I mean, how bad is that? Or does that mean that you're actually improving? Does that mean the fact that you're not focused on feeling rubbish, does that mean that you maybe are feeling a little bit better? You're too positive, sweetheart. How about we flip (laughs) that and it's just that I feel rubbish all the time now, so I'm so used to it. (laughs) Oh, I know that feeling. (laughs) I've developed a new thing. I never had any of these neurological things and now I've got like a flicky eye, like you. Oh, the twitching in my muscles is really annoying I think it's normal to get like a flickering eye when you're tired occasionally could be that I haven't slept (laughs) in like four days well we haven't really slept for 18 months have you yeah (laughs) um but that that feeling of um that you get when your eye twitches that's what I have in muscles all over my body so yesterday I had it down my back and it's like down one side of my ribs on my back and it's just that kind of same twitching pulsating I have no idea what it is I tell you what I tell you what I can tell you is that you know that I went through that period of saying that I was really inflamed down one side and you know it was hurting under my arm and that's gone great right so like it calms makes my life hell and then just goes it's just really odd like I mean what an odd syndrome that we've got I don't know how about you sweet I had a a big crash. I think I said to you last Sunday, oh, I feel like I'm in that mood that I get before I'm going to have a crash. But I'm also really conscious that I don't want to preempt these things and don't want to kind of bring them on. So I thought I'd got through it. A couple of days I thought, ah, it's fine. I was just in a bad mood. And then I had a massive, massive migraine yesterday and the shakes and the nausea and the stomach and... uh, so I'm feeling a little bit fragile. Um, but I think that that crash made me realise that maybe I'd been feeling all right for, for two weeks. Yeah, I think it's about two weeks since I had a migraine. And, and that's definitely an improvement because if you think back to six months ago, I was having them every two, three days. Yeah, no, that's a huge improvement. Yeah. It gets boring, doesn't it, talking about our health? Although I need to check in with you every day. Like it's like it like it's a thing now. I'm so codependent. It's horrible. Is she right? And I'm gonna tell her how I am. Yeah. I think that's good though, that support support network. Because actually, if you're not going through it, it's really difficult. It's really difficult for other members of our family to understand what it's like to just always have these weird things. And I don't talk about it, so it kind of I guess if you pretend it's not there, it's not there. Well, that I mean that's what I've been trying to do for nearly two years now pretending it's not there it's still been there (laughs) (laughs) can we just this week make a a special kind of shout out we've got we've had over twenty thousand downloads which is amazing and thank you all for listening um 
in order for us to kind of grow our audience, if you could subscribe to the show and leave a little comment, because that way it manages to reach more people. Moves us up in the podcast apps and makes us more searchable. Yeah, so that would be really useful if there's a little something that you could maybe do back for us. I was just reading this, but the headline is, Number with long COVID symptoms up by almost 200,000 in a month. So yesterday, the ONS report came out saying 1.5 million. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was quite shocking. 200,000 in a month. And now this is like nearly two years. We got to 1.3. And then that massive jump. And it's almost not not quite taking Omicron into that, into that data set. No. So this week, we've dedicated the show to something... That could be considered alternative, so it's right in Emily's wheelhouse. <laughs> um, but we looked into um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, or HBOT, as the cool kids like to call it. I think, actually, it's only considered to be potentially alternative in this country. It sounds like it is actually used as a much more mainstream, mainstream. treatment for a lot of... Uh, a lot of things in in other places. His name is Dr. Michael Ganevsky, and he runs a what was originally a, a dive chamber. I appreciate that not everyone's going to be able to spend this money, and we don't have this on this available on the NHS. But I think the theory behind it is really interesting, and and ties in well to a lot of what we've heard from other people that we've spoken to about essentially oxygen depletion in our cells. We wanted to talk to you about um, this hyperbaric oxygen therapy uh, in relation to long COVID. And I know that you've published a paper with a few other people last November. That's correct. It's based on the work that uh, we started. Well, actually, I started in January last year, 2021. Well, that's pretty early for long COVID kind of treatment. Should we just start with what actually is hyperbaric oxygen therapy? Yes. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy, in essence, is breathing 100% oxygen at depth, uh, which may vary depending on the condition that's been treated. Um, anything below four meters is considered to be hyperbaric oxygen therapy. There are different conditions that require different uh, pressures, meaning that you have to go to a different depth to treat the patient. It's called a diving chamber. The, the tank that you have. Is that correct? Well, that's correct because most of our, so to say, customers or patients are divers who have decompression illness. Okay, so this is a, a, something that was sort of originally for diving-related issues. Is it from when you come up too fast? Yes, that's one of the ways you can get decompression illness, but there are many other ways. If you do too many dives over a very short period of time, you absorb a lot of gas that is causing the problems. I just want to say that decompression illness is only one of the indications for treatment with hyperbaric oxygen therapy. There are 14 indications at the moment approved, and this is one of them. In the country, in the UK, there are only two, decompression illness and arterial gas embolism. That doesn't mean that the other ones don't work. They're just not covered by the NHS. Okay. And so what are the other conditions that, uh, that are treatable with? Probably the most number of patients that we see outside of Decompression illness are difficult to heal wounds and radiation-induced problems. There, there are other ones as well. Arterial gas embolism, CO poisoning, sudden hearing loss, radiotherapy for cancer that's causing problems, long-term effects. For example, cystitis, 
bleeding from the rectum for types of cancers in the pelvic area, which can be very painful as well. Years ago, the radiotherapy wasn't so precise as it is these days, and long-term effects are very debilitating. Hyperbaric oxygen is very good for that. Difficult to heal wounds, let's say diabetic foot ulcers. So this is a very large group of what hyperbaric oxygen can help with. Wounds that do, do not heal, they can heal with it. So we can save a limb, pretty much. Wow. How? What is, what does the, well, where's the, magic? What yeah. does the therapy do to enable that kind of healing? Okay, the, the oxygen, obviously when it is uh, breathed under pressure, when you breathe 100% oxygen, due to the laws of physics, it goes to places where it normally wouldn't go. You know that uh, oxygen travels by when it is binded to hemoglobin in the blood and gets to the different tissues. But due to the sheer pressure that we use, it penetrates tissues that normally wouldn't get oxygen if it is only left to the blood to deliver it. So we saturate the body with oxygen and it goes to places that it normally wouldn't do. But it's not just that. This is only one side of the whole picture. It also initiates process of recovery, stem cells, inflammation is reduced. So there are many ways that oxygen under pressure can work to do good things. I suppose uh, the question will be, (laughs) how is that applicable to long COVID? Yes, you read our minds. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you remember probably that uh, when at the beginning of the pandemic, February, March 2020, so two years ago, it was very striking that uh, patients were having low saturation level of oxygen, but they were relatively well. So they could be in a hospital bed playing with their phones and still have saturation, which is dangerously low, that according to the uh, accepted... uh, guidelines, they should be intubated, but they were not that poorly. And uh, they did not, didn't need um, to be intubated at the time, or rather it didn't look like the appropriate one. When you're talking about that, when you're judging um, that oxygen, you're talking about our standard O2 sats that we just take from, from outside the body. Yeah. Pulse oximeter, yeah. Rather than actually measuring um, the oxygen saturation inside the blood. That's correct. That's correct. Well, it measures in a way, but it's mostly uh, practical and applicable in in the field rather than very scientific. Anyway, uh, it was very low. And also a lot of people were told, stay at home until, unless you turn blue and then you call 999. So there is that um, group of patients that suffered silently at home, if I may say that. So they had low saturation of oxygen. And you know how sensitive to the lack of oxygen the tissues are, especially the nerve tissue. So for a long time, they had low saturation level, possibly. So the tissue starved. And as a result of that, the problem started of long COVID eventually. So that is my theory behind it. And uh, also, it's pretty obvious that um, a lot of the patients that I see, they have had the most expensive imaging examinations and various tests and everything comes normal. This is so because uh, in my understanding of uh, what the problem is, it is on a cellular level, okay? And you cannot pick it up by modern methods, even with the most sophisticated blood tests. So on a cellular level, and the target is the mitochondria. I actually checked your website and there was uh, somebody who had a talk about the mitochondria being the key. I personally think that is the key to it because what we do with oxygen is 
we, in a way, wake up the dormant cells, the ones that are uh, hibernating, so to say, and uh, they become active again. So that's how we reverse the problem. There's no magic to it, but due to the nature of uh, the treatment with hyperbaric oxygen, we're able to do that. So most patients that um, come to see me, they have brain fog, fatigue, shortness of breath, and all these things improve after 10 to 15 sessions. I wish uh, there was a patient here who can share their experience because it sounds like I'm advertising something, but it's it's remarkable to see how they change in front of your eyes. Um, most of them wear masks when they come here, and I can see only their eyes. And initially, they're almost uh, lifeless. You know, there isn't any life in their eyes. And then you can see how they change. They start to joke. They turn around. The whole uh, vibe is different after only about five to ten sessions. That's amazing. Uh, we actually I, we found you because one of your patients recommended that we speak to you. I have uh, about 100 patients last year, and I've started a, a statistical analysis of the data, and I'm very meticulously collecting data because, obviously, the gold standard is to have a clinical research trial, double-blind, placebo-controlled, which we are doing. I submitted the protocol last October, but until that happens, I, mean, I still see patients, I collect the data, and uh, it's striking that 90% of the patients who have been through the treatment have improved, and of those that have improved, the improvement is between 70 and 100%, which is stunning, in my opinion, because uh, there are no side effects as such because we use very safe treatment tables that we've done thousands of compressions. There's a skill that you have to learn how to equalize your ears, but it's something that you pick up very easily. Most people do not have a problem at all. If you have never had a problem on an airplane when it takes off, it's a similar thing. You have to equalize. You swallow, you compress your nose. Some people are divers as well. It's much easier for them to do it. So you're saying like five to 10 sessions? Before you see results, but the more sessions they do, and again, yeah. it depends on the individual treatment. Uh, I would compare the treatment to a course of antibiotics. You start, you have to go for a certain number of tablets before you expect results. So in this case, a minimum of 10 sessions because mm, some people improve, but the improvement is really significant at about 10 sessions. And they continue to improve if they can do more. But it depends, again, on the patients. Some respond very quickly, fantastically well. Others need a lot more work, and especially the ones who have had it for a long time. And I'm referring to the initial February, March of 2020. Yeah, so it's almost two me. years that they've had, they've suffered with long COVID. Yeah, that's how long I've had it. So do you find that those people who have had it for longer require more sessions? Is that what you're saying? Yes, it makes sense. You know, Anything that's chronic requires more work to be turned To be back. undone. When you say 70 to 100% recovered, is that immediate? I mean, I know that it's following multiple sessions. Yes, I would refer to the course of treatment. Incrementally, you just see it ticking up each time. Yes, and at the end of the treatment, when we complete it, 90% of those who have completed the treatment have improved. And do those improvements remain? Do they stay well? Yes, yes. The first patient I saw on the 11th of January, 2021, I see him, he's um, calibrating equipment in the hospital. So I see him occasionally. And to this day, he's still functioning absolutely fine. And these are people that were severely debilitated, especially from the very first wave when the virus was a lot more evil. <laughs> Can you describe a session? Like, what is it exactly that the patient will do? Is it a big chamber? Is it a small? Yes, it is a big chamber. It's a 10-seater chamber. It's like a small bus. Uh, patients... Uh, 
obviously we start at a certain time and because we're using a specific therapeutic table we know how long the patients will be in the chamber so it's an hour and 45 minutes in in this particular case the patients arrive they enter the chamber they're breathing oxygen through a mask uh, for a specific period of time for this specific table that we're using for the treatment of long covid they breathe oxygen 30 minutes they have a five minutes air break 30 minutes oxygen five minutes air break and then slowly back to the surface so it's an hour and 45 minutes inside the chamber and what's the pressure for the, or the depth? 2.4 atmospheres, which is 14 meters. I have um, noticed as well, there are people who have tried uh, smaller pressures, two atmospheres, but uh, they don't seem to work. I've had patients who have had 20 sessions and only they started to change when they came here. So the changes were not uh, permanent. Of course, they will feel better. I mean, if you have a hangover and get in the chamber, you will feel better as well because you're getting a lot more oxygen than... Normally, even if you breathe on the surface, uh, 100% oxygen. But the changes really start to change their symptoms uh, after they start treatment here at 2.4 atmospheres. Now, can you just explain for us, it, it might be very obvious to, to you, but to explain why you have to go into a chamber to breathe 100% oxygen, why you couldn't just put on a mask and breathe 100% ox oxygen in our atmosphere you have to be in the chamber because uh, you have to create pressure okay we artificially create pressure higher than the surface so it is it's like a pressure pot really compression is has to be created in this way and that is to be for the oxygen to be able to be absorbed deep into the cells not because there would be any problem with yes, yes. you or your ability to breathe if you did it at normal pressure that's correct, yes. Okay. So how does this oxygen help the mitochondria? Or are we just then trying to wake up cells that have good... Well, mitochondria is the engine of the cell. So it is not working properly. And when you have um, oxygen, my theory, obviously, is at, at this stage, is that uh, it um, acts on a process called oxidative phosphorylation, which is one of the energy-creating um, pathways in the mitochondria. So we restart that. It's very similar to what we can do with hyperbaric oxygen for CO poisoning with carbon monoxide. So this is the same level that uh, carbon monoxide affects the mitochondria and we restart the cells. Again, uh, <laughs> it's not exactly like you start an engine of a car, but this environment. And it's not um, just working on the mitochondria. This is probably to me the most important uh, part of using hyperbaric oxygen because we address the pathophysiology of the process rather than just symptomatic treatment. For example, if you have a headache, you take a tablet. That's what we're very interested in talking to people about is trying to get to the root cause because so much of the treatment that is available for long COVID patients at the moment is symptomatic treatment. It is dampening down the symptoms. Um, one of the big theories behind it is the theory that we have a... A, an inflammation throughout our body and i think yes. that would be in line with your mitochondrial theory wouldn't it and just the the oxygen as it repaired damaged tissues essentially start to dampen down that inflammation well yes you can say that yes uh, hyperbaric oxygen has anti-inflammatory properties as well but it also activates stem cells again in that capacity and uh, the nerve tissue is the first one to respond because obviously it's very sensitive to the lack of oxygen or rather the 
its availability. So you can see remarkable results with brain fog, how it lifts literally, using a term that I hear very frequently. I was reading about having these problems where the blood is not getting to certain cells, like at a, at a certain level. Is that why people have issues with their extremities? Are these extremities one of the first areas that starts to lose that oxygen getting to the, to the blood? Well, you're probably referring to the microcloth theory. I, ha- I think it has some... Uh, v- it's a valid approach to the problem, I think. But it's only one side of it. Because if you can remove the clots from the blood and the oxygen will be delivered, but it can be delivered only in the traditional way. So the hemoglobin will carry the oxygen around. Well, with hyperbaric oxygen, you actually physically penetrate tissues that normally wouldn't get it. I wasn't actually referring to the microclots in, in, in that instance, but it is one area that we are actually, we, we've been interested in exploring because there's a big push at the moment to um, suggesting that microclots are the cause. And I think from everything that Noreen and I have, read and the people we've spoken to were not necessarily believing that that's the cause it might be a byproduct of of what's going on in our body yes i agree if you have inflammation generally uh that's how the vessels will be more vulnerable and they will start to create clots so that's part of the problem but uh the microclot theory or rather the what they're doing with aphoresis it's a method used in nephrology for kidney problems they're filtering the blood, so to speak, and they're removing these clots, which is valid, but it is not addressing the problem that's causing the clots, which is inflammation of the walls. I have spoken uh, with a pathologist who had done a lot of um, postmortems on COVID patients. And that's the very interesting point because there's not a lot of data available. And I treated him for a diving-related problem, but we shared this information that most people have actually vasculitis. So it's not behaving like a respiratory problem disease but it's more like vasculitis so the vessels are affected which means in itself inflammation and that's one of the necessary um, requirements to have clots to form a clot really inflammation of the wall of the vessel so it's all kind of tied together but i think with hyperbaric oxygen we're addressing the pathophysiology that so we stop the progression of the problem with that or maybe even reverse it because the changes are permanent Wow. So there's currently uh, the ONS says there's 1.3 million long COVID patients in England. How many hyperbaric chambers are there? (laughs) Uh, Well, there are quite a few chambers, but you have to understand as well that uh, it's the quality of the compression, not just any chamber is good enough for it. So you have to be able to go to these higher pressures. Obviously, there's a limit to what can be safe. You know, you have to, uh, to use the best treatment modality without the side effects. And I think in this respect, referring to hyperbaric oxygen therapy, the highest pressure that is safe for repetitive treatment sessions. So we have a vast experience treating patients with this pressure for all the other approved indications. So we know it's safe in the long term, in the long run as well. And there are no side effects. So uh, the higher pressure is what's actually causing these miraculous results. A friend of mine had a one of those inflatable hyperbaric chambers for a leg injury. <laughs> the ones that, I, and I tried it. It did. It did, it did nothing for me. That's not um, therapeutic. I mean, of course, it's going to be better than just being on the surface, 
but you need proper chamber that can go to higher pressures in order to achieve results. It did literally nothing for me. <laughs> How many of, of oxygen chambers of in the country of, of the appropriate depth? Yeah, that could treat long COVID patients. I can say about eight to ten chambers in the country. So look, this is not a problem to increase the capacity, and I'm actually hoping that once we do the clinical research project, and the results are because it's um, it's only double blind and placebo controlled, which means that there is a group of active treatment, a group of placebo, and then the placebo will get the active treatment as well. But if we have these results, we can be able to prove scientifically that yes, this is uh, this actually works, because the follow up will be for six months to a year after the treatment is finished. And I see the results. It's been only already more than a year since the first patients have seen. And so you you've seen a hundred patients. In total? Close to 100. And I have a few more ready for screening. How many patients can you treat each week in your chamber? I would say probably it's a better way to say it is how many can you do in one compression because we can do four or five compressions daily if we have the necessary number of patients. So we can put eight to 10 in each compression. So we're looking at about 50 a day, probably, that can go to the treatment. And that means that they need about 10, two to three weeks, 10 to 15 sessions. They, they come every day or they come once a week? They come every day. They come every day. It's like a course of antibiotics. Consider it that. You take one tablet a day, though. <laughs> so what would you need for this to be recognized by the NHS so that we can get more chambers and more people like you to help? Well, the clinical trial, hopefully, this is a gold standard when you have a yeah. randomized clinical control placebo-controlled trial. So hopefully we'll be able to start very soon and deliver results very quickly. Um, and I, I saw on your website that you some of the treatment, the treatment is currently recognised but um, by private insurers, but only Bupa. Is that is that other treatments or is there are there any private insurers that are insuring for this treatment for long COVID? Bupa is probably the only insurance company who... Um, believe in the benefits of having hyperbaric oxygen therapy. But they, I think they, at this stage, they're more stuck to the traditional approved indications. Long COVID is a new one. Obviously, not many people have insurance in this country, but if we wanted to come along, how much would each session cost us? Each session is £200. You need 10 to 15 sessions. And there are doctors on site to make sure everybody's okay? That's me. Yeah, perfect. What is your... Um background how did you get into i mean obviously you you're not just a doctor that's that sort of turned their hand to this i'm a diving instructor as well so i started from diving and my interests in that field were preceding even my involvement with uh, hyperbarics and uh, when the opportunity presented itself i jumped into it full time uh, i've always been interested in the diving side of uh, the treatment due to my hobby if you will and then the hyperbarics is uh, the other side of the coin. But I think it's uh, criminally underused in the country because there's so many things that can be done, even if they approve indications. So saving a limb, it's not just, um, I mean, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's uh, necessary to have an amputation, but uh, there are cases and quite a lot of them that you can actually avoid that. And it's not just the price of the amputation, but then the whole... I will call it a package of care afterwards is very expensive in the long run. 
And uh, we have had a few cases that we've saved limbs, people that were heading in that direction. And is that because this therapy can actually help form new blood vessels? Or how does, how does it actually save yes, limbs? Yes, it, it creates new tissue. Let's stick to that in new blood vessels. Yes, that's correct. Okay. So you create new tissue so the wound heals. Do people get referred to you in that situation by the NHS or is that just private? Uh, there are a lot of consultants who are aware of the treatment and they refer privately patients. Yeah. Bear in mind, this is used all over the world. That's this what I was not... going to say. Other countries in the world where this is actually used as much more of a routine treatment. Everywhere. <laughs> well, take a country like the United States, which is um, probably a good size population-wise. The approved indications are paid by the insurance companies and Medicare, Medicaid, all those systems that they have there because they know that they deliver results and most of the cases that they treat are difficult to heal wounds. Are there any downsides? No, not really. No, uh, you have to be able to equalize your ears. 99% of every of the people that come in, you have no problem at all. Occasionally, somebody will have difficulty, but that's as far as it goes. There's always a supervisor. There's always constant monitoring and control of the compression. I'm here all the time. In fact, uh, since I started long COVID, Treatment, I pretty much sleep here. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite extreme. But uh, we we are actually hearing of there are other doctors like you who have just been so dragged into treating people where there really is not, there are not many other options for them. Yeah, I mean, uh, the screening visit is about two and a half hours. If you have five patients that start today, that's already 12 hours Mm. solid. You're engaged with each one of them. And that's a lot. But um, only because I see these results, I keep persisting, you know, because it's very difficult to handle everything else that I have, uh, my other obligations. Um, this, might not, this might not be relevant, but just because you keep talking about um, hard to heal wounds. One of the things that I think that I might have from long COVID is that it takes my body longer to heal just basic stuff. Um, so... You just get a cut and you'll find that instead of that healing over in, you know, two, three, five days, I'll still have that a month later. Is that part of the uh, the whole situation of the cellular degradation that, that you believe is happening in our bodies? Yes, yes. <laughs> With one word, yes. I think um, when I look at uh, all the symptoms, uh, they, at one point they were identified, and you're probably well aware, about 200 symptoms. So all the systems of the body are affected to a certain degree. And I see constantly uh, similar groups of symptoms. Some people have um, certain symptoms are more prevalent in them. Other people have others, but in a, to a large extent, all of them are affected in a similar way. Yeah. So you're not um, unique in that respect, really. I didn't know that if, if it was something that was, that, that was part of the long COVID. Have you seen certain symptoms be alleviated more easily or faster than other areas of the body or do you just think that it addresses on such a cellular level that it 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 sort of treats across the board i suppose uh, the better way to describe it is which is the most striking things that you see improving it's the brain fog it's the cognition you know the cognitive function is the one that's strikingly improving and the fatigue this chronic fatigue that people that sleep as well Oh, does that help with the insomnia? Yes, yes, it does. It does. Okay, so these things uh, turn around very easily. And it's very striking that the 
the fatigue and the cognitive function are the ones that improve strikingly first. And again, uh, as I said, the nerve tissue is very sensitive to the oxygen. And when it starts to get enough of it, <laughs> it starts to recover quick. Well, obviously, this is a simplifying the, the whole process. It's many different levels. And I'm not quite certain about all of them, but I see the results as well. And that's the reason I initiated the treatment in the first place, because I was expecting these results. They did not come as a surprise to me. It wasn't like I was wondering, oh, what am I going to do today? It was uh, simply because I saw that there was marked hypoxia and hypoxemia, you know, low levels of oxygen in the blood, followed by low levels of oxygen in the tissues. So I was expecting that with the hyperbaric oxygen, we will reverse that. And of course, I wasn't quite sure what the results to, we will achieve, but obviously we're in a winning streak here. There's something really seriously going on, positive. The article that you referred to that was published last November actually is based on the very first 10 patients. So there have been so many afterwards that are even more strikingly, you know, the cases, people who came with a wheelchair. There was one nurse who came from Southampton. She was in a wheelchair. And at the end of the treatment, she was swimming 25 lengths in the pool, which is right next to us, which was shocking. You know, sometimes you don't know, especially initially when I started, uh, which symptoms will improve, which will not. I always suspect that there'll be some symptoms that will not improve because uh, there might be changes that are irreversible, like uh, fibrosis of the lungs. Uh, if there is inflammation, we can probably reduce the inflammation with hyperbaric oxygen. But is there, if there is fibrosis, fibrotic tissue, we cannot change that. It's a more permanent problem. Do you think that the fibrosis of the lungs tends to have taken place in people who had a more severe acute case? Or have you seen it in mild cases? Probably, but, uh, but also there are some people who had uh, chronic obstructive problems before pulmonary disease. They had uh, hop before COPD. So it is just aggravating existing problems in people. You know, probably that uh, some, their diabetes control is completely out of whack and things like that happen. People who never had um, high blood pressure suddenly have start to have blood pressure it's because this is all related. As I said, uh, the, this hypoxia works on many different levels and many systems are affected. Yeah. Yeah. We often say that, that it's bought out or it's kind of targeted weak spots so i think that i, I had a propensity to allergies or, or i used to have the occasional migraine i get very very regular migraines now those things have all been brought to the fore can you explain that how how our prior vulnerabilities let's say are so are so pronounced by the long covid do you understand that yep yeah i agree why is that? Oh, it's very hard to say at this stage. I hope once we get more information, it will become clear that certain trends will become more obvious. That's why we need to collect more data, meaning that the more patients we get, the more I get more confident for certain conditions and I can actually look into why this is improving or what are the limitations. I still have to see the limitations of what we do, really. Well, I wanted to ask, you explained that you have this screening process that takes two and a half hours. Have you ever had to tell anybody, no, you can't do it because of a certain condition? No, no, because um, obviously I have initial discussions over the phone and I already know what to expect. I'm more concerned about um, uh, the condition of their lungs because the changes in pressure. It's important to have lungs that they do not look like somebody who has asthma that is uncontrolled because the air that is compressed when, you, when we take it to depth should be able to come out when we 
bring the chamber or rather the when the compression ends in we bring up everybody up to the surface the same way that the volumes are compressed on the way down they should be able to expand on the way up so that's um, part of the problem that's part of the screening or, yes that's part of the screening yes the right, medical okay. examination i emphasize i look into that it's from a purely hyperbaric perspective i just want to emphasize none of the symptoms of long COVID are disqualifying okay you have to obviously be willing to be here day in day out obviously to get the treatment but that depends on the patients and those who are committed to it it's not a problem at all and are there any conditions that you would say that you could you couldn't even attend that first screening appointment interstitial uh, the the fibrosis of the lungs, the lungs that we is discussed. one of those that I'm pretty certain that we have limitation with that can you scale up what you do if your um, clinical trials go through you, the NHS say yes we approve this how do you then scale what you do to hospitals that have not previously offered this treatment <laughs> We'll cross that bridge when we get there. <laughs> it's not even your job. No, I wasn't suggesting it was your job. I was just interested in whether we have the skill set of people who are able to do what you do. It will be very obvious uh, once because the, the treatment is not a secret. Amongst long COVID social media, for example, there's a lot of chatter about this treatment. And one of our concerns is that there are now centres popping up in Cyprus and other places where it's a bit, well, people are going to get treatment. For the health apheresis or for this? For also for this hyperbaric treatment, especially for long COVID. In fact, there's one, I think, place in Cyprus that does both apheresis and HBOT. Yeah, I think uh, personally, if you can combine both, you'll get wonderful results. I've had a patient uh, who went to Germany to get the apheresis and wasn't very happy of the outcome. I mean, obviously, yeah, they showed him a whole lot of clots that they've removed. But uh, I think uh, it is not addressing the problem causing the inflammation that causes the clots. Well, with the oxygen, we do. So if you can combine both, I cannot remove the clots with oxygen. <laughs> I can remove the inflammation. My point was rather that we need some standardization of care, right? So we don't want people just to go... To any chamber, yes, that's to correct. any chamber, you know, and like just because we're a very vulnerable group of people. I do a lot of questionnaires to monitor the the, the progress of the treatment. Part of that is because I'm interested to see at what point the answers change for the better. Another part of that is that I want the patients to be convinced that they're seeing results and they're not just imagining things. And uh, it's striking, really. Some patients respond extremely well very quickly. Others need more work. But they all improve. Not everyone's going to have that necess necessarily have that standard of care that you're able to offer. So people should really go to a centre that has a doctor and the experience of dealing with long COVID rather than just a dive centre. That's what I'm probably trying to say. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. probably can experience the benefits if you come here. <laughs> no, I would actually really consider coming along. But I don't suffer from... Uh, brain fog or fatigue. I suffer from cardiac problems. Those also improve. Do they? Have you seen the cardiac symptoms improving? Yes. You have to understand that uh, the bottom of the problem is probably inflammation that involves the conductive system of the heart if you have arrhythmia. That's yeah. really... Of course, um, you can have myocarditis, which is an inflammation of the heart muscle. Yeah. And uh, oxygen helps for that. I did have myocarditis, yes. 
and tachycardia anarrhythmia. And we have generalized inflammation. That's what we always say, isn't it? Everything just feels yeah. like it's inflamed. Are you fully booked at the moment? No, no, we can always uh, have another compression. We have the capacity to have, uh, depending on the number of patients, to accommodate everyone so far. Yeah, what what really interested me on this one is that it really seems to be patient-led rather than theory or uh, research-led. There's not many papers on it. People haven't gone out and studied it. It's just anecdotal uh, notes on Twitter or on a Facebook group saying, hey, you know, we're going to try this therapy and it's this this is the mechanism and we think it might help and it's helped some people and it hasn't helped some people. But I think it's really one of the few podcasts that we've done where there hasn't been a lot of science behind it. Is that a fair? Is that a fair? There hasn't been lots of science in terms of scientific paper and studies. Yeah, that's but I think I... there is a lot of science behind the hyperbaric oxygen therapy in terms of in terms of treatment of cells. I would actually be tempted to go and try this because, of course, you would. It's got it's got no downsides, Noreen. It's got no downsides. Except that it's two hundred pounds a session price tag. (laughs) The going away from home for fifteen days, which frankly sounds amazing. Um, (laughs) uh, That bit I could I could I would love, but it's not logistically feasible. I uh, the the theory behind it works for me. I tell you, I I did do it, but not in a dive chamber. So I'm less convinced than you that it's going to force oxygen into the right parts of my muscles. Yeah, but that was at the wrong pressure. Yeah, the do-it-yourself version. I just want to fix my cells. Just really, really want to be well. I really, really want to be normal and not wake up wondering how I'm going to get through the day each day. I just, I just want to feel okay again and know that when I wake up tomorrow, I'm going to be fine. I know we all get ill, but, you know, it'd just been really nice if if you didn't have to constantly worry about whether you're going to be okay. We'll just add it to the list of things we worry about. And then it seems manageable because as mums, we've got a huge list of things to worry about. Right? (laughs) And if we can laugh about it, that's not bad either. Join us next week as we hear others' experiences of long COVID. Share your stories and questions at tlcsessions.net. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram for the latest updates. And if you found this interesting, please do subscribe.